Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and shouldn't be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 33 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. We are also on day six of the daily podcast adventure for the month of November, and we are in that final hour or so of the day here in the Eastern Time Zone, although there is a bonus hour. We're on daylight savings time ending here today, so there is a bonus hour, but that actually happens after Saturday has concluded. So here we are, getting this podcast out into the world in these final moments on this day. And the podcasts are always in real time on the day. This is no different, simply that it's in this closer proximity, this daily interaction. And it's interesting to see how the energy, how the content evolves because of that. In some ways, it's serving as a bit of a daily journal. And you're here with me entering into that. And I would love to hear back from you. And you can share that on social media, you can send me an email, this osteopathic life, this osteopathic life at gmail.com are available to you on Instagram and Facebook. And let me know how you're experiencing these daily doses. Right? And perhaps you're able to listen to them daily, perhaps you store them up. No pressure, no obligation, of course. But as they shift in their energy, frequency, and proximity, what does change for you? I'm noticing already how it shifts for me in engaging with these concepts and experiences, and I'll be fascinated to look back at the end of this month and see what distinctions and differences might unfold. And that is unintentional foreshadowing on what we're going to be discussing here today. And the act of future focus, the impact of future focus, the act and impact of backward glances and the opportunity we have to operate from the experience of now in the present moment. And this has come up in a few different episodes, but it really resonated for me today when in a conversation with my friend, a follow-up to that difficult conversation, which was notably less difficult, and that can happen. Sometimes moving through that difficult space opens up for a much different and deeper connection. And that is an opportunity. It doesn't always go that way. Happened to in this circumstance, this instance. And I'm grateful for that. I recognize the capacity for that from a willingness for both of us to show up and stay in the difficult space. And I'm going to paraphrase this best I can. And I remember even in the moment thinking and saying, I really want to write that down. And I do better, and I'm curious for any of you how your memory works. Writing it absolutely helps. Seeing it helps. I have more of a visual memory. Hearing it, I can tune into. So that's how I experienced this concept today. I'm going to let it come through as it will. That as long as we're attempting to correct our past, 
it is destined to become our future. And thinking about that spiral, that connection, that sequencing, that effect and impact. And as I looked at the different ways I engage with past experiences, some of which I shared in yesterday's episode and had that sense of, oh, if only, right? If I only I could have changed that or what would it be like if I didn't go through that? And obviously we could never know, right? It's not a choose your own adventure moment where we can see X, Y, Z, how that is. It's a wonderful life impact, right? We can imagine into that. And I believe I shared in one episode the book, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, one of my favorite books this year. And I don't often read fiction books. And this one I read and loved or listened to, I should say, but listened to and loved. And I won't put in spoiler alerts or spoilers here, I should say. I will alert you to the fact that I won't spoiler this book for you or spoil the book for you. But looking at the different possibilities and then seeing what that means for the actual current lived experience. In any case, I've been considering different ways and spaces and parts of my life and choices, and I definitely will have this idea of, right, why was it that way? I wish it hadn't been that way. It should have been that way. And working in coaching has helped me to shift that narrative and begin to come to a place where I say, it is what it is, it is what it was, and here we are now, and where would we like to go from here? Now, this concept, when it comes up in the program I teach, and I will be taking you through that in couplets, so it's 12 topics, 12 concepts, it's a 12-week program, and I think I talked through it in a meditation version on a podcast in season two, and I'll be giving it to you in different doses, different perspectives, but this zone of it, which we refer to as accept, A-C-C-E-P-T, when it comes up, there's a lot of resistance. It's the time I get the most argument or disagreement back from the participants. And I think that's fantastic. All of the concepts are meant to be received, to be challenged, to be integrated and incorporated in different ways and getting the perspective and reflections back is the best case scenario. That is how we're engaging in the course. But the idea of accepting what is can cause a lot of resistance and even sometimes anger, frustration, right? That we're suggesting to just resign ourselves to whatever situation we happen to find ourselves in. And that isn't the case. And I won't get into that too much because again, we'll have an episode that looks at it more specifically but thinking about how often we are trying to correct something. And I bring this through the lens of my professional, my clinical engagement and the embracing of the osteopathic concept and the resistance I had to the idea of fixing anything, which can seem problematic when you're doing hands-on treatment and people come in for pain and dysfunction, dis-ease, and you can identify mechanical abnormalities, or somatic dysfunction as we name it in their body and we're applying hands-on treatment to restore it to optimal function and health and remove obstructions. Yes, and those things were possible. And interesting to think about the idea of correction in there, but it didn't feel like fixing to me. It felt like a means of honoring what was, 
almost accepting what was. And I tend toward indirect treatment. So coming to a place of balance around what is in the body and then inviting it, even not so much actively, but in that space of finding that balance and tension in the body, that the body then incorporated, integrated, aligned toward whatever was there, an optimal function could come through. And to me, and I'd love to hear from my colleagues in my specialty, in my profession, who might have a different experience than I in this space, that was not fixing. Right? That was honoring and acknowledging what was and making space for whatever was meant to change and evolve and come through to do so. Now, as I say that, and as I sit on the relative eve of sitting my boards for recertification, those aren't the responses that are going to be sought from me in that space. And I think both are possible to hold. I can recognize the principles. I can see where the fixing and correction have a space and place. And I can see and experience how it is to engage with a person in that visit, in that treatment space, and welcome into the now all that is meant to be. Now, if I think about it, and we'll stay with this clinical example of finding, let's just say a verba that's rotated and extended in a certain way, right? In the job, we might think is to bring it back, right? Bring it back to neutral, take it back the other way so that it sits in a more functionally appropriate space orientation relationship with the segments around it, with the whole. And that can be all well and good. And I think about that idea of if we're attempting to correct the past, we're creating our future. And I think about the times when we do have a recurrence of those segments, those lesions, and again, the vocabulary, the dialogue we have around it, we could re-examine as well. And even just in that single solitary example of what could seem a simple issue of a vertebra in some certain way in space and place of being, what is the difference if we stop looking at that as a problem to be corrected and simply seeing what it is, accepting how it is, Acknowledging it, being with it, and then noticing how it might begin to shift. And where then is the future of that lesion, of that segment in the context of the whole, compared to when we do isolate it and correct it? And this one, I'm not going to offer you a specific answer for. I'm genuinely asking this question and considering it and visualizing it and experiencing it and being with it here in this moment myself. And so now let's take that into a life circumstance. So let's say there is something in your past that isn't ideal, that you probably would like to see changed, that you're curious what the impact would be had that not been the case. And we could look at some of the examples I gave yesterday of interactions and experiences in my childhood. And also, right now, just being 
in this present moment with my current life and lived experience, including all of those components. And what is it like to be here with myself, with all of those as they were, as they are, as they are part of my experience and bring me to where I am now? What is the impact of that? And if I think about in coaching concepts, we talk about our thoughts creating our results. And so if the focus is on correcting those problematic engagements, the thoughts might be, right, I should have been nicer. I shouldn't have said those words. I should have been a better friend. The shoulds in there in those desires to change keep us in that past focus. We're also creating a dialogue in our brains in seeing the problems of it. And I want to be very clear, we're not asking or suggesting that in accepting something, we don't acknowledge past experience and we don't learn from it and we don't change our current or ongoing behavior. But there's a difference. And even in just changing a few words or even a singular word in those statements. So I will act differently. I will say different words. I will engage in this way. I will be inclusive. Looking at that begins to shift it just a little. And what if we can believe about ourselves now, having had that experience and being where we are and noticing now the impact, even if our intent wasn't meant to be in some certain way, even if our intent was, right, sometimes in that hurt people, hurt people space, there may be intent to cause harm and to cause hurt because we want someone else to experience it too, or we don't know any better, our reserve is limited, our intention is in that space, right, those can be true as well. And in either case, to now see what that impact is and to know we don't want to participate in that way. We don't want to engage with others in that way anymore. And when we can't go back and change it, we can be informed by it and shift how we engage and behave now. So if we had I will or I can as alternatives to the should, what if we can then take it one step beyond and simply say I am. I am inclusive. I and am kind. I am thoughtful. I am aware. I am listening. And sometimes you may have some resistance to that because it might seem not yet true. You don't believe it. You don't have the proof of it for yourself. And it can also be valuable to believe it in advance of it actually happening. To trust that having come through that lived experience and being present in your now moment and being willing to listen and to learn and to notice that you can say that. And then we begin to shift and see who and how we are in this moment in a different way. Begin to be in the lived experience more completely. So that is where I'm going to spend some time and it will likely come up in these episodes is seeing how I am looking back 
And so interesting always for me that in the clinical space, where it was often challenged, right? It wasn't the way we were, quote unquote, meant to see patients, right? Saying, here's what's wrong with you and here's my solution for it. It was often the way medicine was meant to be practiced, expected to be practiced. It's often what patients would expect. And there are times that was super helpful, super successful. It also was not how I understood and saw the practice of medicine and being able to be with patients and see what was working well and what is happening here. And again, arranging, inviting, integrating around what was would make such significant shifts. But to not as effectively be able to see that in my own life for certain actions, behaviors, and experiences. And we usually do have some challenges in the lens pointing at ourselves versus in spaces with others. So in any case, I'm going to look at that in my own life to notice where there is this backward glance and a desire to correct, to reclaim, to have it have gone differently, and to see how that is simply creating a continuous cycle of bringing those acts into being in my life, perhaps in different ways, different nuance, different people, different relationships, different professional experiences, but common themes. And notice how being where I am now with the great gift of having lived that past experience, letting it be, accepting it, and seeing how that shifts the trajectory of my moment and the forward focus. Now, another thing I wanted to touch on including this concept and seeing what the impact might be is an idea, as I shared previously, of my minimal, muted, lack of access to feelings, to emotions, to not being a highly feeling person. And that is something that is a work in progress for me. I can see different reasons that there has been that act of, we could say numbing, One of my colleagues actually wrote a really brilliant article for Kevin MD, and I'll put that link in the show notes about the act of numbing in the practice of medicine that's quite common. We're asked to be in a space where we're not hyper-influenced by some pretty traumatic engagements. We need to be that consistency, the steadiness for patients. And there can be benefits to that. It can be a survival mechanism but it isn't a sustainable way to be. And if we don't offer space for processing, for tuning into emotions, it could have some pretty devastating long-term impacts. So I could see it there, but I can see it in my life well before the practice of medicine, different spaces and places and life events that asked or tasked or at least assumed they required of me to be what I might say steadier, more stable, more consistent, perhaps stoic, but also looking at it as less in tune with decreased access to emotions and seeing what the impact of that might be and noticing when living in the world with people who do operate from feelings and all of us do, right? Feelings are driving our actions. And at the same time, we can be more or less aware of our feelings, more attuned to and tuned into them. 
And this is a foreshadowing of some future episodes in that messy middle. I told you right from the episode 15 to 25, we're going to have a very specific trajectory and we're going to look at the work in the positive intelligence realm. And that is created by Shirzad Shamin. You can read the book and go to the website and there is coach training of which I am a student and I have a fantastic group of women physician coaches with whom I'm working and it brings forward different concepts and principles in new ways that have really resonated for me. I'm going to bring those to you and share my interpretation of them and bring it forward. But in the meantime, the one piece I want to bring forward today was this realization. It's helped me to both see how I operate in the world and also how others do. And that granting of insight is so fantastic, so valuable. And it helped me to see that yes, right, there are people in my life who are very much fully aware and attuned to and engaging with their feelings. And what that means for me is there is an opportunity to notice that. There's an opportunity to acknowledge that. There's an opportunity to embrace that. There's an opportunity to inquire, to learn more about that experience. And there can also be a challenge in the way in which I engage with those people who are much more feelings oriented. And what I notice is, because I operate in a more rational, logical, and that's not to say feelings are irrational. That's not my point. But I tend toward sorting everything out, analyzing it, categorizing it, making it make sense. And that can be really helpful right? in all these spaces and cases as we'll go through in the positive intelligence world. There are benefits to the ways we all engage with the world. And with any of them, they can be taken to an extreme that makes it less functional, that makes it more difficult to engage with and communicate in our relationships. And so finding those sweet spots in there is really helpful. And recognizing that it's possible to swing that pendulum back a bit for each of us and to notice the benefits of the ways we all interact with the world. And also meeting someone in their space and style is so beneficial, not easy necessarily, but possible and very beneficial. And today I had an opportunity to notice that in what I might consider in my rational assessment of it, and we could say hyper-rational, we'll learn more about that, an incident where I was full on in feelings and I would say hyper reactive, I had an intense reaction. And as I mentioned, and as we are here in these later hours of the day recording this podcast, it was a full day. It was a full day and things didn't all go quite to schedule. And so some of the margin between events we had scheduled was narrowed. And some of the details of what we were trying to do were limited by structural issues, functional issues, skill issues. And we were trying to load bikes on the back of the car to go to an event and they weren't loading. And the assessment for my oldest son was that the bike, the last bike wouldn't fit 
And I know that it could because relatively recently we had all five of our bikes on the back of the car and this bike was one of them. But he tried and didn't work and I tried and didn't work and time was ticking away and I was outside and I was frustrated, right? And I had all kinds of choice words for the bike rack in my own private moment and in a last ditch effort to get the bike on, I was seeking help. And as I was seeking help, I came in, my oldest son was sitting and reading, which is not uncommon for him, but I couldn't, I couldn't rationalize how that was an option at all in this moment. We should have left about five minutes prior and the bikes weren't on and things weren't ready. And so I really laid into it, right? I was loud and I was annoyed and everyone noticed that reaction. And I tend to be relatively calm and collected and rational, right? Not in an outburst mode. And I would say that I pride myself on that, right? That's one of my aims is how can I be this steady source and force in my household and my family? At this moment, I was not. I was tired. I was probably a little hungry. I was annoyed and frustrated with what was happening with the bike rack. And I was in disbelief right? because my rational mind couldn't fathom how when we had this narrow window and we had these certain things that needed to be done, how anyone wasn't attending to them or at least attending to some reasonable needs in that moment. And all of this, right? These are my biases. These are my thoughts. This is my desire to correct what is happening in front of me. And as this transpired, everyone made their way outside. We ended up taking all bikes, but one off. And that actually turned out to be the better solution once we got to the site we were operating with the information that was available to us. And I admittedly found some of these brownies I had made the day prior because I overbought bananas. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> so I needed to make them into something. And combining them with chocolate seemed like a really great choice. So I had that. And we could look at the emotional impact and the importance of not necessarily using that. But in the moment, I was very much aware that this was my choice of soothing myself, having some solace in brownies, very aware, I was conscious of that, getting into the car and acknowledging this outburst that had happened and sharing that my frustration was largely with the bikes not getting on the bike rack and some annoyance with myself for not being able to figure it out. That was really at the core of the issue. And also that when there were tasks that need to be accomplished, having help, having people be on board. My children are old enough to be contributors, and they have been very much so over this past week particularly. And I apologize for the outburst and also acknowledge that sometimes we do. We have these reactions. And my middle son, who I share with you, who's very aware of and very engaged with feelings, had the most resolute engagement with and acknowledgement of and forgiveness tuning into my apology. And that struck me. And what I heard in there was a recognition because he will have big feelings and we'll have discussions about them. And oftentimes it is a discussion from me that's from a very logical, rational, sorted out, understand it, organize it, attribute it, plan for the next way we would handle it space. 
And that may have a place, right? There is room for rational thinking. And I also realize that being able to see me have a human feeling experience allowed him to see that that experience is just part of the process, that we can have it, that we can own it, that we can acknowledge it, that we can see the impact, that we can look for the why, right? that we can apologize for it, that we can be forgiven for it. And so we can see this back and forth. And as I'm even thinking about this, I'm picturing we have a ping pong table new in our basement, which has been a fantastic investment to be able to engage with. And lots of memories for me from my childhood. But I picture the back and forth. And so there was this exchange of our ways of being where I met him in his arena and his style. And it was easier then for him to see me in my way of engaging with it. And it wasn't us forcing either into the opposite way of being or seeing or experiencing or understanding. It was both of us being in both ways. And it wasn't trying to fix anything. And while I did offer up, right, here is what I see happening and here's what you know I might do differently the next time. But it really was simply, I was here. I was annoyed. I did feel better when I had some browning. We could talk about that <laughs> on a whole different level. And that was it, right? It wasn't a going back and it wasn't a guarantee for the future. It was being in the now, experiencing it, owning it and recognizing it. And there was power in that. And I felt so seen when he said, yep, I hear you. Yep. And there wasn't a, that's okay. Right. And that's a space that I've learned from Brene Brown that when we apologize, saying that's okay can sometimes seem like an endorsement of what happens versus saying thank you or even simply acknowledging, yes, I hear you, right? Yes, I hear you. And I've been there too, right? Noticing those pieces can be different ways to receive that engagement. So as I think about today, And as I look at this idea of correcting past action, its impact on our future opportunities, as I think about engaging from a feeling space, I see so much opportunity to expand into this present moment. And so I invite you to notice, right? When you've had that backward glance, And when you've had the future focus and how it may be available to you to be more fully in this now moment. And here we are wrapping up the episode and we'll move toward the activation process starting on Monday. So tomorrow is open and Sunday can be like that. Enjoy that extra hour. As I close, I'll share with you my least favorite memory (laughs) from Daylight Savings Time. It was my first year I lived in England. And I love, I love fall back, right? You get this extra hour and you get some more light in the mornings. And one of my favorite days. And I woke up 
and it was on a Sunday, right? That's where we roll. And I had rowing training, so we're mostly on the weekend. And it must have been, right, that the phones weren't as fancy, right? They weren't as hooked up at that time, and it didn't make the changes. So I showed up, and it was early, right? It was early, not 5 a.m. early, but at least 7 a.m. on a Sunday. That's pretty early. And I ran as I did to training. I ran to training, and I get there, and no one's there. I'm thinking, was it cancer? Was it this? And then I realized I had forgotten about the time change. And so that hour, that extra hour I spent just waiting. And I thought, oh, so I did go back. And I allowed myself to reprogram it in that moment. And here was my corrective action. But here actually was just being in the now experience and saying, well, that hour that I missed, right, that was extra for me. And I showed up for rowing instead. I simply decided to do the go back to bed in the now moment when it was available to me. So enjoy the hour, however it's made available to you. And I will be back with you again tomorrow. This is Dr. Millie Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.